in the dark. One hundred candles. One hundred stories. Welcome to the One Hundred Ghost Story Adventure Podcast. The Hundred Ghost Story Adventure Podcast presents Origin Part Two. When last we met, our four samurai were just finishing their round of stories. A thunderstorm had rolled in, and the room was getting darker and darker. They begin the next round of stories. The room is getting darker and darker. It is said that the telling of stories and the extinguishing of candles can have a strange effect. It has the power to summon the dead. A long time ago, there lived a rich merchant. He had a daughter called Osono. She was a very clever and very pretty. This merchant thought it would be a pity to let his daughter grow up in only such teachings as the country could give her. So he, in the care of his most trusted attendants, sent her to Kyoto. After she had been educated, she married a friend of the merchant's family, and she lived happily with him for four years. In that time, they had a boy. It was their only child. Even so, Sona fell ill and died in the fourth year of her marriage. On the night after the funeral, Osono's little son came to his father. He said that his mother had come back. She was in the room upstairs. She had smiled at him, but she wouldn't talk to him. So he became so afraid that he ran away. Hearing this, the members of the family went upstairs to the room which had been Osono. When they slid the shoji door, they saw the figure of Osono. She appeared as if standing in front of a chest of drawers. The chest still contained her ornaments and her clothes. Osono's head and shoulders could distinctly be seen, but from her waist down, the figure thinned into wisps of nothing. An imperfect reflection of her former self, as transparent as a shadow on the water. All that entered were very afraid, left the room. A woman is fond of her things. Osono was much attached to her belongings. Perhaps she has come back to look at them. Many dead persons will do that unless the things be given to the parish temple. If we present Osono's robes and girdles to the temple, her spirit Hearing the wise words of the old woman, it was agreed that this should be done as soon as possible. The following morning, the drawers were emptied of all Osono's things. However, even after her ornaments and dresses were taken to the temple, she came back the next night, just as before. She came back night after night. The household became a house of fear. Grandmother then went to the parish temple and told the chief priest of all that had happened and asked for ghostly counsel. There must be something about which she is anxious or near that tansu. We emptied all the drawers. There is nothing left in the tansu. Tonight, I shall go to your house and keep watch in that room to see what can be done. You must give orders that no person shall enter that room while I am watching, unless I call 
After sundown, the priest went to the house and found the room ready for him. During the night, he remained there alone, reading the sutras. Nothing appeared until after the hour of the rap. Then the figure of Osono suddenly outlined herself in front of her tansu. She had a wistful look. Her eyes were fixed upon the tansu. The priest uttered the holy sutra prescribed in such cases. Then he addressed Osono. I have come. Well, perhaps in that tansu there is something about which you have reason to feel anxious. Shall I try and find it for you? The shadow slightly nodded her head. The priest rose and opened the top drawer. It was empty. Successively, he opened the second, the third, and the fourth drawer. He searched carefully behind them, beneath them. He carefully examined the interior of the chest. He found nothing, but the figure remained gazing wistfully as before. What was she Suddenly, it occurred to him that there might be something hidden under the paper lining in the drawers. He removed the lining of the first drawer, nothing. He removed the lining of the second and third drawer, still nothing. But under the lining of the lowermost drawer, found a letter. Is this what it is that is troubling? The shadow of the woman turned to him, her faint gaze fixed upon the letter. Shall I burn it for you? She bowed before him. Then it shall be burned in a temple this very morning, and no one shall read it except myself. The figure of Osono smiled and vanished. Dawn was breaking as the priest descended the stairs to find the family waiting anxiously below. There is no need to be anxious. She will not appear again. She never did. The letter was burned. It was a love letter written to Osono in the time of her studies at Kyoto. The priest alone knew what was in it, and the secret died with him. With this, I blow out my candle. A long time ago, there was a man named Nago Chiosi. Nago was the son of a physician. At an early age, he had been betrothed to a girl named Ote the daughter of one of his father's friends. Both families had agreed that the wedding should take place as soon as Niago had finished his studies to become a physician like his father. But the health of Ote proved to be weak. In her 15th year, she was attacked by a fatal consumption. When she became aware that she must die, she sent for Niago to bid him farewell. Nagao-sama, my betrothed, we were promised to each other from the time of our childhood. We were to marry at the end of the year, but now I'm going to die. The gods know what is best for us. With this frail body, I can only continue to be a cause of trouble and grief. I could not be a good wife. Even to wish to live for your sake would be a very selfish wish. I am quite resigned to die. I want you to promise that you will not grieve. Besides, I think we shall meet again. Indeed, we shall meet again in the Pure Land. There will be no pain of separation. Nay, nay, I meant not the Pure Land. I believe that we are destined to meet again in this world, even though I shall be buried tomorrow. Yago looked at her wonderingly and saw her smile at his confusion. Yes, I mean in this world, in your present life, Nagao-sama, providing that you wish it. Only for this to happen, I must be born a girl and grow to womanhood. You would have to wait. Fifteen, sixteen years. That is a long time. But my promised husband, you are now only nineteen years old. Eager to see her dying moments. To wait for you, my betrothed, were no less a joy than a duty. 
we are pledged to each other for the time of seven existences. You doubt? My dear one, I doubt whether I shall be able to know you in another body, unless you can tell me of a sign or token. That I cannot do. Only the gods and Buddha know how and where we shall meet. But I am sure, very, very sure, that if you are willing to receive me, I shall be able to come back to you. Remember these words of mine. Ute ceases. Her eyes closed. She was dead. Nyago had been sincerely attached to Ote. His grief was deep. He had a mortuary tablet inscribed with her name made. He placed it in his household altar. Every day he set offerings before it. He thought a great deal about the strange things that Ote said to him just before she died. In the hope of pleasing her spirit, he wrote a solemn promise to wed her if she could ever return to him in another body. This written promise he sealed with his seal. He placed it beside the mortuary tablet of Ote. Nevertheless, as Niago was an only son, it was necessary that he should marry. He soon found himself obliged to yield to the wishes of his family and to accept a wife of his father's choosing. After his marriage, he continued to set offerings before the tablet of Ote. He never failed to remember her with affection, but as the years went by, her image became dim in his memory, like a dream that is hard to recall. During those years, many misfortunes came upon him. He lost his parents and his wife and his only child. He found himself alone in the world. He abandoned his desolate home and set out upon a long journey in the hopes of forgetting his sorrow. One day, during his travels, he arrived at Ikayo, a mountain village famed for its hot springs and beautiful scenery. In the village inn, a young girl came to wait on him at the first sight of her face. He felt his heart leap as it had never leapt before. She strangely resembled his Ote. He pinched himself to make sure he was not dreaming. Her every attitude and motion revived in him some gracious memory of the girl to whom he had been pledged in his youth. When he spoke to her, she responded in a soft, clear voice whose sweetness saddened him with the sadness of other days. Elder sister, so much you look like a person whom I knew long ago. I was startled when you first entered the room. Pardon me, therefore, for asking what is your name and what is your native place? My name is Ote, and you are Nagao Chayose of Echigo, my promised husband. Seventeen years ago I died in Nagita. You made in writing a promise to marry me, that if ever I should come back to this world in the body of a woman, you sealed that written promise with your seal and put it on your household shrine, beside the tablet inscribed with my name. Therefore, I came back. As she uttered these last words, she fell unconscious. Nago married her. The marriage was a happy one, but at no time afterward did she remember what she had told him in answer to his question at Ikayo. Neither could she remember anything of her previous existence. The recollection of her former birth, mysteriously kindled in the moment of that meeting, had again become obscured, and so thereafter remained obscured. And with this, I blow out my candle. Once, when Muso Kukushi, a priest of the Zen sect, was journeying alone through the province of Nino, he lost his way in the mountain district and wandered for a long time helplessly. Alone and tired from walking, he began to despair of finding shelter for the night when off in the distance, he spotted on top of a hill a small hermitage built for solitary priests. It was in ruinous condition, but he hastened to it eagerly. Inside, he found an aged priest 
He begged the favor of a knight's lodging. The old man harshly refused. However, he directed Musso to a hamlet in a village adjoining where lodging and food could be obtained. Musso found his way to the hamlet. It consisted of less than a dozen farm cottages. He was kindly received at the dwelling of the headman. Forty or fifty persons were assembled in the principal apartment when Musso arrived. He was shown into a small, separate room where he was promptly supplied with food and bedding. Being very tired, he lay down to rest at an early hour. A little before midnight, he was roused from sleep by a sound of loud weeping in the next apartment. The soji was gently pushed apart, and a young man carrying a lantern entered the room. Reverend Sir, it is my painful duty to tell you that I am now the responsible head of this house. Yesterday, I was the eldest son. When you came here, we did not wish that you feel embarrassed in any way. Therefore, I did not tell you that father had died only a few hours before. The people whom you saw in the next room are the inhabitants of this building. They all assembled here to pay their last respects to the dead. Now, by our custom, we're going to another village, about three miles long. No one of us may remain in this village during the night after the death has taken place. We make the proper offerings and prayers we go away, leaving the corpse here alone. Strange things always happen in the house where the corpse has been left. We think that it would be better for you to come away with us. We can find you good lodging in the other village, but perhaps, as you are a priest, you have no fear of demons or evil spirits. If you're not afraid of being left alone with the body, you're very welcome to use this poor house. However, I must tell you that if nobody except a priest would dare to remain here tonight. I am deeply grateful for your kind intentions and your generous hospitality. I am sorry tell me of your father's death when I came. For though tired, I certainly would have performed my duty as a priest. Had you told me, I could have performed the service before your departure. As it is, I shall perform the service after you have gone away. I shall stay by the body until morning. I do not know what you mean about the danger of staying here alone. I am not afraid of ghosts or demons. Therefore, please, feel no anxiety on my The young man appeared to be rejoiced by these assurances and expressed his gratitude in, in fitting words. Then the other members of the family and the folk assembled in the adjoining room, having been told of the priest's kind promises, came to thank him. Now, Reverend Sir, much as we regret to leave you alone, we must bid you farewell. Our village rules forbid us, any of us, to stay here after midnight. We beg you, kind sir, to take care of yourself, while we are unable to attend upon you. Should you happen to hear or see anything strange during our absence, please tell us of the matter when we return in the morning. They all left the house except he went to the room where the dead body was lying. The usual offerings had been set before the corpse, and a tomio was burning. The priest recited the service and performed the funeral ceremonies, after which he entered meditation. He remained meditating through several silent hours. There was no sound in the deserted village, but when the hush of the night was at its deepest, there noiselessly entered a shape, vague and vast. Musso found himself unable to move or speak. He saw that shape lift the corpse and devour it, quicker than a cat devours a rat, eating everything, even the shroud. The monstrous thing, having thus consumed the body, turned to the offerings and ate them too, as mysteriously as it had come. It disappeared into the night. When the villagers returned the next morning, they found the priest awaiting them at the door of the dwelling. When they had entered and looked about the room, no one expressed any surprise at the disappearance of the dead body in the offering. Reverend Sir, you've probably seen unpleasant things during the night. We were all anxious about you. We were very happy to find you alive and unharmed. If it had been possible, we would have gladly stayed with you. 
law of our village obliges us to leave a house after a death has taken place. Whenever this law is broken, some great misfortune has definitely followed. Whenever it is obeyed, we find that the corpse and the offerings disappear during our absence. Perhaps you have seen this cause. Muso told of a dim and awful shape that it entered the death chamber to devour the body and the offerings. No, no one seemed to be surprised by his narration. What you have told us, Reverend Sir, agrees with what has been passed down from the ancient times. Does not the priest on the hill sometimes perform the funeral services for your death? What priest? The priest who yesterday evening directed me to this village. I called at his on on the hill yonder. He refused me lodging, but told me the way here. The listeners looked astonished at each other. Reverend Sir, there is no priest, and there is no Anjitsu on the hill. For many generations, there have not been any resident priests in this area. Muso said nothing more on the subject, for it was evident that his kind host supposed him deluded by some goblin. After having bidden them farewell and obtained all the necessary information as to his route, he was determined to look again for the hermitage on the hill. He wanted to ascertain whether he had been deceived. He set off in the direction he came from the day before. He found the Anjitsu without any difficulty. This time, its aged occupant invited him to enter. When he had done so, the hermit humbly bowed down before him. How ashamed I am. I am so very ashamed. I am exceedingly so very ashamed. You need not be ashamed for having refused me shelter. You directed me to the village yonder, where I was treated very kindly, and I thank you for that favor. I I can give no man shelter. It is not for this refusal that I am so ashamed. I, I am ashamed that you should have seen me in my real shape. I, I was the one who devoured the corpse and the offerings last night before your eyes. No, reverend sir, that I am Jikikini, an eater of human flesh. Have pity on me and suffer me to confess the secret by which I have become reduced to this condition. A long, long time ago, I was a priest in this desolate region. There was no other priest for many leagues around. So in that time, the bodies of the mountain folk who died used to be brought here, sometimes from great distances, that I would say the holy services over them. But I repeated the service and performed the rites only, only as a matter of business. I thought only of the food and the clothes that my sacred profession enabled me to gain. Because of this selfish impiety, I was reborn. Immediately after my death into the state of the Shikini. Since then, I have been obliged to feed upon the corpses of the people who die in this district. Every one of them I must devour in the way that you saw last night. Now, Reverend Sir, I beseech you to perform a Sengaki service for me. Help me escape from this horrible state of existence. No sooner had the hermit uttered this petition than he disappeared. Muso Kokushi found himself kneeling alone in the tall grass beside an ancient and moss-grown tomb of a priest. With this, I extinguish my candle. It's time for a word of caution. Spirits can make demands upon the living. Fear the dead, but most of all respect them. To anger the dead by not providing for them is to tempt fate. It had been ordered that the execution should take place in the garden. So the man was taken there and made to kneel in a wide sanded space crossed by a line of hobishi. His arms were bound behind him. The retainers brought water in buckets and rice bags filled with pebbles that they packed around the kneeling man so that he could not move. The master came and observed the arrangements. He found them satisfactory and made no remarks. 
Honored sir, for what I have been doomed, I did not willingly commit. It was only my very great stupidity. Having been born stupid, I could not help making mistakes. But to kill a man for being stupid is wrong. That wrong will be repaid. So surely as you kill me, so surely shall I be avenged. Out of the resentment you provoke will come the vengeance. Evil will be rendered for evil. If any person be killed, feeling strong resentment, the ghost of that person will be able to take vengeance upon the killer. This the samurai. We shall allow you to frighten us as much as you please after you are dead. It is difficult to believe that you mean what you say. Will you please give us some sign of your great resentment after your head has been cut off? I will. Drawing his longsword slowly, standing behind the man. Very well. I am going to cut off your head. Directly in front of you, there is a stepping stone. After your head has been cut off, try to bite the stepping stone. If your angry coast can help you to do that, some of us may be frightened. Will you try to bite the stone? I will bite it. I will bite it. I will bite. There was a flash, a swish, and a crunching thud. The bound body bowed over the, the rice sacks. Two jets of blood emerged from the neck. The head rolled upon the sand. He heavily toward the stepping stone, it rolled, and then suddenly bounding. It caught the upper edge of the stone with its teeth, clutching desperately for a moment, and dropped. No one spoke. The retainers stared in horror at their master. He seemed to be quite unconcerned. He merely held out his sword to the nearest attendant, who poured water over the blade from the heft to the point, and then carefully wiped the steel several times with sheets of soft paper, thus ending the ceremonial part of the incident. For months thereafter, the retainers and the domestics lived in a ceaseless fear of ghost his visitations. None of them doubted that the promised vengeance would come. Their constant terror caused them to hear and to see much that did not exist. They became afraid of the sound of the wind and the bamboo, afraid of even the stirring of shadows in the garden. At last, they decided to petition their master to have Sagiki service performed on behalf of the vengeful spirit when his chief retainer had uttered the general wish. Quite unnecessary. I understand the desire of a dying man for revenge may cause for fear, but in this case, there is nothing to fear. The retainer looked at his master beseechingly, but hesitated to ask the reason of the alarming confidence. Oh, the reason is simple enough. Only the very last intention of the fellow could have been dangerous. When I challenged him to give me a sign, I diverted his mind from the desire of revenge. He died with the set purpose of biting the stepping stone. That purpose he could accomplish, but nothing else. All the rest he must have forgotten. You need not feel for any further anxiety on the matter. Indeed, the dead man gave no more trouble. Nothing at all. With that, I blow out my candle. After this long night, as the samurai leaned forward to extinguish the eighth candle, High in the beams of the ceiling, slowly descending, came a ghostly shadow. Across the walls, its fingers radiated. The group of samurai was so intent on the story finishing, they barely perceived the ominous ghostly hand closing in on the candle, flickering in the wind. Down, closer and closer, a breeze blew through the room. The last samurai crushed out his candle. Out of the corner of one of the samurai's eye, he saw the movement. At the sight of this, the young samurai gasped. The others jumped up instinctively. 
One samurai draws his katana and with a precise swing, he snaps the silky thread of the spider, making its way to the remaining candle flame's warmth. Discovering it was a lone spider, the samurai that shuddered in terror was mocked. With these words, a ninth candle is extinguished. The Hundred Ghost Story Adventure Parts 1 and 2 Recorded live at NonCon in Kirtland, Ohio on October 7th, 2017. We wish to thank all those who attended the recording and hope they had a wonderful time. Portions of this podcast have been re-recorded. The 100 Ghost Story Adventure is available at podbean.com and iTunes. Part 1 stories were Oshidori, of Amir and Abel, story of Atengu, Yokiona. Part two, A Dead Secret, the story of Ote, Jikiniki, Diplomacy. Origin was adapted from traditional stories by Matt Zucker. Stories were edited from the original material to fit the production. Theme music is Instinct by bensound.com. This podcast was produced and directed by Matt Zucker. Your performers tonight were Matt, Amanda, Chris, Steve, Amy, George, with very special appearance by Cara Mia. Follow the 100 Ghost Story adventure at 100ghoststory.wordpress.com, on Facebook at 100 Ghost Story Podcast, on Twitter at 100GSA Podcast. If you would like to share a story for future episodes, please write us at inquiryparanormal at gmail.com. Thank you, and join us again.